What's going on? Welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. The Pelicans begin a three-game homestand tonight as they welcome in the Los Angeles Lakers. And joining us today is Mike Trudell, who covers the Lakers for Lakers.com and also television sideline reporter as well for Lakers TV. Mike, happy game day. Thanks for joining us. Fellas, it's a pleasure. How are you doing? We are doing pretty good. And Mike, obviously the Lakers are a little banged up heading into tonight's matchup. Of course, the two main guys are out, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. What's the vibe in Los Angeles right now with two of their main pieces out? Yeah, look, it's certainly far from ideal. Uh, and it's been uh, an interesting season in that context, right? I mean, the Lakers up to this point uh, have missed a bunch of games to their starting lineup. And, and I think now that's going to grow, of course, with both LeBron and AD out at the same time, and Marcus All also yet to return. So that's your three front court starters. It's your two All NBA first team players. Uh, it's your two guys that attract the attention of the defense and enable other guys to get open shots. So um, it's certainly a, a difficult stretch that's to be coming up. And I think uh, tonight's game particularly is going to be tricky. You guys, you guys know quite well. I don't need to tell you what Zion's efficiency numbers are getting to the rim, and that's the area when you talk about the Lakers starting front court. I think that they have the best chance of at least controlling Zion to a degree, or at least making things difficult on him. Um, I believe he was nine of 19 in the first matchup, one of only five games. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, that he's been under 50% this season. And that's of course going to be quite more uh, of a difficult situation for the Lakers to control him. So I think that what they're trying to do guys is just look at one game at a time, which is why I kind of immediately moved to how they're going to approach tonight's game and not worry too much, right, about the standings and the big picture and uh, what this means and all that kind of stuff. Because they, they've Frank Vogel's been pretty good at just zeroing them in on whatever that night's task is going to be. And before I get to Jim, is, is that mean, is that a safe sense that there's really no panic in Los Angeles? And no, looking, they're in the standings right now, third in the West. But just it, it seems like with them, they're confident that once they get their two main guys back, no matter when that is, that they'll go right back to what they're doing. Is that is that kind of what the, the line is there in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to think about it, Daniel. I mean, it, so they know what they have, right? They know what they are. And when they've been healthy, I think they're still confident uh, when they get on the court, regardless of what the opponent is. So it's not so much about playoff seating and home court, especially in this type of year during the pandemic. I think that it's, it's just more about getting actually healthy. And the, the, I think the more difficult aspect of this could be if they had a guy, and particularly one of their stars, that was out for the season, that brings a different sort of emphasis, a different sort of way of looking at it uh, when you're when you're on the roster and trying to figure out how to replace a piece, as opposed to just, hey, uh, can we hold water? Can we uh, can we just try to compete and get through this difficult stretch until LeBron comes back, until Anthony Davis comes back, and that's what the mentality has to be. Mike, um, obviously, you know with every team in the league, if they're missing their two best players is going to be in for some difficulty and facing a big challenge. But I think one of the things that people should note about the Lakers is they have a lot of other players who've been on playoff teams, teams that have competed for championships, that kind of thing. Um, who do you think they're going to rely on? It's only been a game and a half basically since they've been without LeBron and AD who do you think are some of the guys that they're going to need to, to step into bigger roles and, you know, produce more than they would have otherwise based on the circumstances right now? Yeah, Jim, it's a good question. Um, I think, I don't know what must be like the 
12th or 13th year that you and I have been on podcasts together. So it's always fun to talk to you <laughs> in this context. I mean, I, to me that, so that when LeBron was in and AD was still out, the two guys that had stepped into the void to try and whether it was the scoring uh, and just that front court support were Montrezl Harrell and Kyle Kuzma. And I think that remains the same with LeBron out. They, they just have to do more. Kuz now, instead of being a, a really powerful one-two punch off the bench with Montrezl Harrell coming in for AD, um, and when LeBron would take a seat, when Markeith Morris, who had been starting for AD, would take a seat, and also just they would go small a lot more. They were playing a two. Uh, they were playing a ten-day contract center in Damian Jones, um, who is no longer on the current roster and is an unrestricted free agent. So, I think the next guy, though, on that list with LeBron out is Taylor Horton Tucker, who is essentially a rookie. Now he's in his second year, but he missed most of last regular season. Uh, got his reps in the G League. Was 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 not healthy to start the year, which is one of the reasons why he slipped in the draft. But he might be their best playmaker in terms of getting into the middle of the paint, attracting defensive attention, and then either scoring at the rim or kicking out. Of course, Dennis Schroeder is there is going to be their best shot creator, but Schroeder is often, like he's so explosive, he's so quick, he's getting his own shot. Uh, and I think THT can provide a, a bit more of that all-around playmaking effort and at least to kind of support Schroeder. So it, as, as you just heard me, Jim, I had to mention four guys, right? It's not like one guy could just come in sure. and replace what AD or what LeBron does, but I think it, it gets divided a bit between THT and Schroeder to try and play make uh, in the role that LeBron does. And then it falls upon Kuzma and Harold to try and pick up some of that scoring punch that AD lacks. And defense is a whole nother thing. You know, LeBron and AD also probably the Lakers two best defenders. Uh, and that's why they are who they are, right? To have your two stars who can also impact the game on the defensive side of the court. And that's more of a, of a collective, right? It's a collective mindset. It's not even, you can't even really have one or two guys step into a position there. It's got to be the whole team on a string. Yeah, Mike, you mentioned the years, uh, the years that we've been on podcasts together and that kind of thing. I'm not sure how many people realize this, but Mike's roots go back to his Timberwolves days. So that was really where he started out or where, where I, where I was in the NBA when, or where he was when I first started out in the NBA. So yeah, we go, we go, we definitely go back a ways. Yeah, so, I think I, I think I sold that short. I think it's more like 14 or 15 years. Really, because that my yeah. first year there was 06, 07, mm -hmm. uh, which is when he started doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my first year was 05, 06. I I guess I have one year one year at, on you. Although I I I didn't wasn't there at the beginning of 05, 06. I I was hired after the season had already started. So oh uh, yeah, you win, you win. But either way, <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing before I go back to Daniel, Mike, um kind of wanted to discuss the West briefly. I mean, what are your, how, have you been uh, surprised at just the way that the, I mean, obviously people went into the season saying that the Lakers are big favorites and things they've, they've gone into adversity that we've just touched upon, obviously that's affected their record, but um, have you been surprised at all of the fact that Utah and Phoenix have been the two best teams in the West so far? Um, it just seems like going into the season, I don't think anyone thought that those two teams would be there in the standings where they are right now. Yeah. So Jim, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? Exact same thing. And I don't think there's a clear separation in terms of Utah or Phoenix and them being better. Right. Uh, they, I, I think that they have a better records right now. And the biggest reason for that is health and continuity. And if you look at Utah, this is the, this is the team that brings back their entire rotation from last year their top eight and then they add Derek favors who of course was there 
for five, six years uh, before he went to, uh, came to you guys, right? Yep. To, came to New mm-hmm. Orleans. And, yeah. and I thought, by the way, it was, was pretty good um, for the Pelicans last season. And I'm sure there, there are ways that, that you've been missing that production, certainly off the bench or, or when he was starting. And so that, that is a huge advantage in a pandemic year when teams have been missing players left and right, whether to injuries or to COVID protocols. They also have avoided the COVID uh, protocols uh, for the most part, which, by the way, they should get credit for. Um, yeah. I think that's that's something that you know sometimes can tell. Sometimes guys are getting unlucky. Sometimes it's about being really diligent. So credits them for that. And then they also uh, they have the the just the continuity in terms of knowing how guys are going to play together. And then they've stayed healthy. They've only missed ten games to starters. So guess who's number two, or guess who's number one on that list of missing games to starters? Phoenix. Phoenix has missed only eight games to starters. Yeah. Um, and I know it's it's been more for the Pelicans. It's certainly been far more for the Lakers. So I, I'm not trying to take credit away from Utah and Phoenix, but I think that explains the difference in the loss column. You know, whether that's two in the loss column between Phoenix and the Lakers now or four in terms of Utah and the Lakers. The Clippers are right there behind the Lakers. Denver um, has been playing better. They were just completely wrecked by a COVID protocol and injuries earlier in the season. They have now won eight of 10. So like before the season, I had it ranked Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and let's see, Jazz, and then Suns. So I, I do think that those are still, to me, uh, the top five teams in the West, the order a bit less important. What I want, if I could flip this question to the two of you, I was expecting the Pelicans to be closer to that kind of anywhere between six and eight um, range. I thought Dallas probably, to me, was six, and then Portland. And then right there with Golden State, um, I, I thought the Pelicans will be up there just based on, on talent. And I... I have a, a little working theory. So I, I, I watch you guys a lot. As you know, half of the former Laker team, right, is there. And so I got to spend a lot of time with Ingram and with Lonzo and with Josh Hart. And to me, it seems like an issue that will ultimately be just fine. But it's like Ingram was so great last year. He's wanted to uh, – He's he has such dreams and desires to be an elite player, right, to be a true all-star legendary player, really. He, like he his goals have no bounds. And then Zion – um, comes in and has been so great this season. And uh, to me, part of maybe there's it's those guys having to kind of figure out who when to eat and if one of them can step up more defensively while the other one takes a bigger offensive load. And I don't know how central that has been to the dynamic, but like it's it, it's I, I would be curious for what you guys have seen there internally and then how the, the guys around that step up um, and and get the team to a record that is requisite to the talent. Well, you know, Daniel, I, I feel like we're getting a preview of the post-game call-in radio show right yeah, now. Basically. Because I think pe- people have asked this a lot this season in terms of, you know, why isn't the team playing better or why doesn't why don't they have a better record? And one of the things, Mike, that I've honestly said, I don't know, dozens of times already this year is that you have to start the conversation with defense. All the stuff that you just said is very valid, sure. and I think it's definitely a factor in terms of why certain games that they should have won at the end they didn't pull out with the recent Portland game, which is one of the ones I don't even want to talk about anymore. It was so painful the way they lost that game, but that definitely has factored into it that they've, you know, had some uncertainty at the end of games offensively, but really the number one, two, three, five, 10, 15, 20th, I think reason why the record is what it is, is because they've been so poor defensively. I think they've made strides lately and gotten better at that end of the floor. But I mean, to me, that's that's number one. And somewhere on the list definitely is clutch time offense for sure. But uh, it's I think it's pretty far down compared to, unfortunately, defensively and how many threes they've given up in particular. 
Yeah, for sure. I would agree with that, Jim. Also, I feel like the key term for them, they've been consistently inconsistent all year long. There's been games where the offense has been clicking, but then the defense doesn't step up. Or we saw in Portland where, you know, they allow 101 points to Portland on Thursday night and they only score 93. Um, but Jim made a great point about closing out games. I think you saw on Sunday what they're capable of doing against the Nuggets where B.I. had eight points in the final minute and a half. Zion Williamson made some clutch free throws and we saw it against Portland. This team has had a hard time closing out games, and a lot of that can be attributed to the youth. Um, a lot of that could be the defense down the stretch, and also the offense gets stagnant for them um, when other teams make big runs. So um, I think it's a combination of all that, but you're certainly seeing them that they're capable of beating good teams. They've been Utah this year. They've been Phoenix. They've been the Denver Nuggets. They've been the right, Clippers, right. three of the four top seeds in the West, but they also have losses against the Minnesota Timberwolves twice. They've got swept by the Bulls. So they're uh, kind of a, a roller coaster type team, as, as we've seen all year long. So yeah, I think that's yeah, a big reason. It's 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 such an interesting group, though, and like the future is bright, though. If just think about all of the picks that are coming in, all of the, the talent that still has a chance to emerge. So I would be I would be excited if I were a Pelicans fan. And like what I was getting at with Ingram and Zion in particular, it's it's not really about offense at all because like on that end, it's still things come so easy um, to both of those guys. They they both can score. Um, in so many different ways. To me, it's more of kind of a since like in what this is what I, I think I've learned in part by by following right LeBron and AD to this extent or, or even Kobe years ago is that those guys and especially Ingram can be so much better on defense. But it's hard for some young players to to from a mental standpoint to really focus offensively and think, OK, here's how am I going to get to 25 tonight? Because that's what I, that's what I feel like my team needs when it, you if, if that mindset flipped more to leading on the defensive side of the court, right? And then the offense would just sort of come and go. It, it could be Zion a couple of possessions. It could be Ingram here and there. Um, and, and then, of course, the players that support around that, which there's plenty of talent on that front too. And, like, that's kind of what more what I was getting at. And I don't think that comes overnight, especially with a new – with Stan Van Gundy coming in. And, like, that to me is, is, is the thing that's going to take some time, especially in a pandemic season with no practice – which I, I don't know how much the Pelicans have been able to practice. The Lakers have barely been able to practice at all. And that's the kind of thing that I think just has to evolve there um, and will over time. And, and that's when the Pelicans will be scary. Yeah, you know, I, I agree, Mike. I mean, the part that you said about taking time is very key. And I'm as guilty of, of this as anyone else is just the, pa the patience that you need sometimes with teams that are young. Um, the, what, what Daniel talked about as far as the – the, the quality teams that they've beaten, um, our, our friend uh, John Schumann from NBA.com pointed this out yesterday, that they've beaten six of the top eight teams in the, in the, in the NBA of the eight teams that they've played. Um, so, I mean, they've shown glimpses, but now it's about being more consistent. And I, I do think that that will occur down the road when you get more experience and, you, and some of these guys just mature and get, get older. Mike, before I let you go here, um, we appreciate the time today. Uh, trade deadline's coming up for both teams uh, on Thursday afternoon. Um, we talked about this earlier, the Lakers, that you know, they're not as much in panic mode because they know they're going to get their guys back. It's just a question of when. But until that time, do you see them being active before Thursday, whether it's a buyout candidate or whether it's just a minor trade to add some depth while they wait for guys like AD and LeBron to get back? You know, the honest answer is I really don't know. Uh, that's that's one side of the business uh, here uh, with the team that I that I kind of stay away from. I mean, I could speculate like anybody else, but my my initial thought, right, and this is assuming that the Lakers get back to health relatively soon, 
you know, they've got 11 guys that they really trust that they could throw into a starting lineup on a given night. And I think that the, the depth of the Lakers has been undersold now these last two years. It is, it is part of the reason why they won last year. And they have, so what they, they basically committed to, it's these two stars and then a bunch of good players who play complementary spots around them. And so I, as I, we were just talking kind of about New Orleans and still growing into that, that is the benefit that the Lakers had by being a team mostly of veterans, right? With the exception of THT, who's 20, um, and then Alice Caruso, who just turned 26, Kuzma, um, you know, 26, like that, or 25, 26. That's, those are, those guys are old on, uh, on the Pelicans roster to a certain extent, or certainly on, on uh, several rosters out in the Western Conference. And so they know where their spot is. They know what their place is. Um, right now, they're starting Markeith Morris, who is basically like their ninth, tenth guy. Um, Wesley Matthews, who you know hasn't had his best season, but nonetheless, I think would be playing real minutes for a lot of teams um, as a guy that can, can, can hit threes, that can play defense. Um, Alex Caruso, one of the more undersold uh, just wing defenders who can, who's really smart as a cutter um, on offense and sort of can play make at times is really good at playing off of LeBron, for example. Like these are guys that I think are, are not, that don't necessarily get a lot of mention when you think about the Lakers and you start with LeBron and AD and then you go to, to Shooter even or Harold. Uh, so yeah, this is a squad that I think is, is really deep already. And what player is going to be able to come in um, and, and really deserve minutes over those guys and not disrupt the chemistry. Like, I think there are a couple right there and, and the Lakers do have two open roster spots. So it does seem likely they're going to bring in a player or two um, without question. And, and whether that's the buyout market or a trade, um, your guess would be as good as mine, but I don't, I don't see anything necessarily major that they need. Right. Um, other than like, could they use a replicate of JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard of that rim running center? Yeah. Like, yeah, that would be, that would be nice, but that, that archetype doesn't even really play that much for the Lakers because their best lineups are when AD goes to the five. So it's, it's a question of if you can get something and especially you have the advantage of being the Lakers, maybe, you know, maybe a player is going to be more apt to want to join them in that kind of a buyout market, uh, be, you know, to potentially make a, a run to the title. And so they do have that advantage, I think over, over certain teams, but I don't think it's something that has to happen. Daniel, I guess is, is the way I would frame it. Good stuff there. That's Mike Trudell, who covers the Lakers uh, for the team and also their television sideline reporter as well. Great stuff, Mike. Learned a lot about the Lakers tonight. We appreciate the time and stay safe the rest of the way. All right, guys. Great talking to you, as always. Uh, it's going to be a tough one for the Lakers tonight. And, and again, I'm just, uh, I already am having visions of just Zion drives um, into the paint without the Lakers' top three rim protectors. So it's going to be a tricky one. We'll see what Frank Vogel has cooked up. All right. Good stuff there. Thanks, Mike. All right, guys. Take care. All right, so there goes Mike Trudell, again, covering the Los Angeles Lakers, also the uh, television sideline reporter for the Lakers as well. And, Jim, before we get into the Lakers game tonight, let's go back to Sunday afternoon, which was a, a quite a nice day for the Pelicans, defeating the Nuggets on the road 113-108. to They salvaged the three-game road trip. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I feel like we talked about it during this segment with Mike, is the team was able to close out a win. And you saw some big shots from Brandon Ingram, some big free throws from Zion Williamson. I feel like that's the kind of positive things we need to see from those guys, um, especially against a really good team like Denver. I love the way that Brandon Ingram was so aggressive in the last couple minutes of the game. He had two three-point plays, and then with the Pelicans up, I think it was two with 20-something seconds left, he just drove it hard into the paint, got fouled, and got two free throws that were crucial to be able to win that game. So it's definitely going to be – Vital. I mean, they have a lot of games against good teams. 
I'm sure they're going to play in a lot of close games here coming up. So that definitely was a, was a good sign to see. I mean, there were other, a lot of other good signs as well, including I think the bench was pretty solid. Stan Van Gundy talked about how maybe they didn't put up big stats and their scoring numbers weren't big, but they made a lot of good contributions and everyone was a positive and plus minus that came off the bench that game. So um, that, that could be another uh, key as far as the Lakers go, who've had to really obviously reshuffle their rotation and move some start, some bench guys into the starting lineup and bump some other guys up into bigger roles. Yeah, you talk about bigger roles. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker came up big for the Pelicans as well, starting in the place of Lonzo Ball, who's questionable for tonight's game with that right hip flexor sprain. Um, but he had 20 points. He's had 20 points in two of the last three games. And we talk about it as this year's progress. He's really starting to get comfortable, whether it's a starting role or whether just one of the being one of the first guys off the bench for New Orleans. He's definitely making progress. I mean, the the next step, this is something I mentioned in the article that I wrote yesterday, is he's gonna have to find ways to do it in the in the lower minutes. I mean, that is such a challenge. But if you look at his diff, the difference in his stats between when he starts and plays a ton of minutes. And when he comes off the bench, it's pretty massive as far as the shooting percentages and the efficiency across the board. So, but I mean, the fact that he's been able to do what he's done in the, in the games this season that he started, I think has been really impressive and is a great sign for him as far as in the future. Um, I think as he gets more experience, we will see him start to play even better when he comes, when he does have to come off the bench and his minutes are, you know, say between 15 and 20 a game, but I mean, we, we've, we've seen how much talent this guy has. I mean, you and I remember going back to summer league when he was one of the best players, if not the best player in summer league. And you could see even in that situation where it wasn't totally reflective of the end of the real NBA, because the competition isn't as, as, you know, great, obviously. And he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much as he did during that, those few games in summer league, but you can see what he's capable of doing when he's a very, uh, you know, key part of the offense. Before I let you go, you know, we talked about this, this tough stretch for the Pelicans starting with the March 14th game against the Clippers. And it goes all the way to the end of the month when they end at Boston, they're two and two in those games right now with four games to go starting tonight with the Lakers. You have Friday against Denver, who knows he's going to want some revenge. You have Saturday against Dallas and with Boston. So I've been pleasantly surprised with how the Pelicans have been in these first four games of the eight, but this is also a crucial stretch, including tonight. When you don't have Anthony Davis, you don't have LeBron James. Mike also mentioned no Marcus Gasol. I mean, this is your chance to, to, to take out one of the, the reigning champs and one of the better teams in the league. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for the Pelicans to maybe start a winning streak here at home. It really is. And I remember when the schedule was released a few weeks ago, whenever that was, late February maybe, um, you immediately targeted this stretch as being very important. And I think it's definitely the case where – you know, they needed to find a way to, to tread water, at least in this, this um, span where they're playing against so many good teams. The thing that's funny and frustrating to some degree is they're two and two in this stretch, but they could, if it wasn't for a cavalcade avalanche of miserable things happening all at the same time, they could be three and one if it wasn't obviously for that, the end of that first Portland game. So it's a good, that's another good sign. I think that the, they've been competitive during this stretch. Um, you know, they, hopefully they'll be able to finish this out with, you know, a couple more wins and then they'll be in a lot better position. One quick thing too, if you look at the play-in race, which I don't think we've dwelled on too much, mostly because 
um, the Pelicans haven't played great. And it's something that we focus on more when they, when they put together some wins, but Memphis actually has a stretch coming up. That's similar to what the Pelicans are going through now, if not tougher, where the Grizzlies actually have three games in a very brief span. All they play their entire season series against Utah in the span of like six or seven days. And then they have a, like a six game, seven game road trip um, coming up in a few weeks. So they, they have, they're going to have to do the same thing that the Pelicans are doing right now, where they're playing against some of the best teams in the league and they're going to have to find a way to get wins if they don't. And the Pelicans are able to keep playing like this. Maybe new Orleans will be able to put a little bit of a dent into what's now a three game deficit for the 10th, 10th spot in that final play-in seed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think once this Pelicans team can get on a three game, four game winning streak, and hopefully that's the case and you start looking at the standings, but they do have to take care of themselves here um, in these home games as well. And then see what happens the rest of the way. But Jim should be a fun one tonight. You can watch it nationally on TNT, but we will encourage you to sync it up with our radio broadcast with Todd Graffinini and John DeShazer. Just pause the game or however you uh, may see fit. And uh, hopefully the Pelicans can get a win. And then we'll have another Pelicans podcast tomorrow. Mark Kestisher is on the call for ESPN radio. He'll join us tomorrow um, to recap the Pelicans game and also just talk about the NBA in general. So I hope you all have a great rest of your day. 6.30 p.m. Uh, stay safe. The weather's supposed to get nasty here in the afternoon. So take your time getting to the arena, get in there safe and cheer on the Pelicans, hopefully defeating the reigning champs in the Los Angeles Lakers. For Jim Eichenhofer and Mike Trudell, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seaton.